0: Welcome to Word from the Herd, produced and brought to you by the Kimmel Foundation for Recovering Leadership. Welcome to Word from the Herd. I'm your host, Thomas Hill, and today I am delighted to be joined in studio by Marty Grubbs, the senior pastor of Crossings Community Church. Now, if you don't know Marty as well as I know Marty... Um, you might think a lot of the things that you think about a senior pastor, but the thing I love about Marty, first of all, he is the most approachable leader that I know, and a very humble one also. But he also likes sports cars, and I figure anybody who likes sports cars has to be okay. So, so he's got that going for him. Uh, Marty has led Crossings for many, many years. And Crossings just recently celebrated their 60th anniversary. And the the marvelous thing about that is that church has grown from about 140 people meeting in a little building in northwest Oklahoma City to now 7,000 people uh, joining each week uh, across a couple of different campuses. And they're involved in all kinds of things. One of the things that really, uh, I think, is special about Crossings is their outreach. And not too long ago... Under Marty's leadership, they built and now operate Crossings Community Center and Clinic, which is a free medical and dental clinic and also a community center, primarily serving underprivileged and under-resourced neighbors here in Oklahoma City. And they do a lot of fantastic work. And they also started a school many years ago, now a little over 20 years ago, uh, called Crossings Christian School, and just out, you know out of pure... Uh, transparency all of my kids went to crossings uh, school and a couple of them still do so
1: Marty welcome to work from the herd it's great to be here well it's, it's great. appreciate th- you and appreciate your leadership and this opportunity to talk about it Marty the the
0: foundation and, and kind of the whole concept behind this herd of leaders is transformational change and supporting one another as we lead in ways that generate a value culture and one of the things that is so special about crossings is it, you you all are up front and state right out of the gate for anybody, hey, you know, we have our beliefs and these are what they are. They're, you're very clear about those. But then at the same time, crossings is a very accepting place. And one of the ways that we talk about leaders demonstrating that they value the people that they lead and, and that the community that they're in values is by creating a safe environment. Now, when you're a manufacturer or maybe – you own a store or a distribution center a lot of times when we think safety we think people not getting physically hurt but actually it's probably more important that we don't harm people mentally or emotionally a lot of that tends to go on in our communities right. and so i just i appreciate how much crossings has done to create that safe environment and so the kind of one of the things i want to talk about in a minute is is how they do that but before we do that i always ask our guests a completely off-the-cuff question. This is a completely different question, and that is, I want you to tell me a little bit about the worst job you ever had. And I know you're going to have to go back a ways because you've been a se- the senior pastor for a long time, and you probably don't want to say anything about that being your worst job. So Still, I'd
1: probably be better off done. Yeah, you have to go way back. Yeah, but but yeah. tell me
0: tell me something about the worst job
1: you ever had. You know, for me, it goes back to college probably in the summers, uh, we worked we had to get a you know that was a requirement after we turned 16 had a car we we found jobs and uh, I had a few different interesting summer jobs basically but there was one in particular that I thought was going to kill me and there was this contractor commercial builder in the church who built office buildings and towers and he built all kinds of things but so he hired us and um that put us in a, with a that put me I grew up in church I'm a church boy you know and it put me around guys who said things I'd never heard in my life and used words and made quite a bit of fun of us when they found out my brother and I both and a couple of our friends got these jobs together and they made such fun of us about being little church boys and all that kind of things so that was kind of a new I'd been fairly protected from that but I think the day that we had to run a jackhammer I still go back to that day We were sent over to the Chrysler building, and at the time, I I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, where a lot of automakers uh, had plants, and they sent us over to Chrysler, and we had to bust out a huge concrete pad for a brand new machine or something that, you know, about the size of of a small room, and we had to bust it out with jackhammers, and I thought I was going to lose my mind. And, you know, when we finally turned it off for lunch and we turned it off, take some breaks, at the end of the day, I thought everything in my body had been jarred loose. But that was a terrible day. It was hot. And we were inside this factory and, the the you know, the, when it's summertime in Ohio, it's humid. It's very humid yes. up there all the time. And uh, it was a terrible day.
0: Wow. Well, I, I imagine that at least uh, on those days when there's a lot of stuff going on and, and you feel like you're, I know, as many of us as leaders do, they are just days when you look at your calendar and your heart just sinks because you know it's going to be a dead run from six to whenever at night. At least you're not on the handle of a jackhammer in Dayton, jack Ohio, hammer. right? Yeah, right. And you got right. that going for you. Right. That's awesome. That's funny. Well... Uh, Let's go a little bit, uh, talk a little bit about how you got where you are because um, I've heard you say many, many times in front of the church, you did not intend to be a senior pastor and you certainly didn't intend to be the senior pastor of a mega church. Um, How does that, how do you feel like that has impacted your leadership? Because a lot of us kind of were groomed for what we did and expected to be in our roles or, or chose our roles. But you kind of got, continued to get pushed into yours. How do you feel like that's, uh, that's adjusted or impacted your leadership?
1: Well, I think for me, uh, I had great plans coming out of college with uh, a business and a, and a music degree. That was my love, to be around content- that what was then uh, the the original start really in many ways of contemporary Christian music as we know it today uh, there was no K love at the time and so I was in school with Stephen Curtis Chapman I was in school with Chris Sandy Patty Amy Grant wasn't a stranger they were and we're all just kids at the time and I didn't want to be on the stages uh, I could if they needed me in a bind if they were really desperate I could play a bass guitar which is fairly harmless if the guy turns you, turns you off if it gets too bad, or a trumpet. And that was once or twice that happened. But I liked the, I was intrigued by the business side of it and the management side of it. And that's what I, I'd worked in that for four years. I got a job day one in the best music gig you could have had in Christian music in 1977. So that was just, it'd been a dream of mine for a long, long time. And I wanted to be uh, in the arena somehow, some way. So uh, I moved to Oklahoma City, uh, and it it was a a nudge that I'd never had. I I don't claim too many experiences where you know that God just struck you with lightning. But this happened to me in visiting my youth pastor from high school days, who was now the pastor of this church. And uh, he said, come on out before, you know, I had a break between graduation from university and then starting the job full time. And moving in Nashville. So um, I did come out, and after a week, he said, well, what would you think about just coming out and helping me? Just come out and help me with our student ministry kind of thing, and I didn't want to do student ministry. I didn't mind it. I just didn't feel really called to it, but something something really radical. So I, I guess to, to prevent a long story getting longer, when I look back on this, uh, I have no doubt in my mind that God really wanted me to do this. Some people know this early. Some people know this when they get to college, they study uh, they might study Greek and Hebrew and, and I did some of that out of my personal interest. but I, I could tell that something is going on that I'd never planned. I'd never been to Oklahoma. And here I am with my youth pastor who was very instrumental to me. He was you know he was my youth pastor when I was in the student ministry. Uh, as a kid. So uh, when he invites me out to spend some time with him, I jumped on that. Got here and started meeting with people. And he had told me, he said, I want you to meet a few people and let's talk about what it might look like if you were to come out and help me for, give me two years kind of thing. And uh, by the end of that week, I knew I was coming. And I, it was kind of on one hand exhilarating and on the other hand, completely confusing and disappointing. <laughs> Why would I do this? What is this all about? And uh, it probably took five, six years. Four years later, and another pastor coming through for two years, uh, they asked me to be their pastor. Uh, I was the interim for the second time, which meant at our church, I read Swindoll's best sermons, you know, and and repeated them. (laughs) Um, And I told them that. So uh, great he's a great author and pastor and speaker, so I, I used everything he had. But they uh, asked us to do that, and uh, it was so off the wall. And I gave them five or six reasons why it was a bad idea, and I meant it. I truly meant it. There were some obstacles that I thought. I grew up in church. I've seen the church front and back and in between and everywhere else, and it can be ugly. It doesn't have to be, but it can get there. So uh, I gave them my, I think it's five objections, if if I remember right, or or not objections, but let me give you five things to think about before we go down this path, because they were tired. They'd been a church plant for 26 years, and they were tired, and they were ready, truly ready to either we're going to try to keep keep making this vision happen of the kind of church they wanted to be, or we're going to stop and um, just blend into another great church in this town. And in 19, early 80s, we had some great churches in this community. Still do. Yeah, yeah. But particularly in the 80s, we had some large Baptist churches. We had a, the, the, uh, a great Methodist church growing, Church of the Servant. It started with Norman Neves. We were not without great churches and great leadership. So... Um, I, they were really tired in many ways. So I, I tell them in some ways I was their Hail Mary f- pass to the end zone with a guy that never caught one before. And, and here we are, and here we, you know, here, here we are. So what, what I found out was two things that I look back on that had been very instrumental. The relationship I had with the people was critical. Uh, and it was a really good relationship. I had strong ideas, but I'd always been taught to listen I had great respect for my elders. Now, at the time, those elders were younger than I am now, (laughs) but but they were the church leaders, men and women who served on these boards. And, And as I look back on all this, that relationship was key. They were willing to be patient and honest with me. I was willing to be patient and honest with them. And interestingly enough, what God knew at the beginning that we didn't know until later, probably five, six, seven years later, was they were the kind of church I'd love to be a part of. That was very much the kind of church I'd love every church to have this experience. Now, in all honesty, I grew up in church. Dad pastored only two churches, and both were loving, nurturing, kind churches. Mm -hmm. I've never had a bad church experience. So I'm one of those lucky PKs that graduated (laughs) from college and kept going. I hear you say something
0: that I I hear a lot from leaders, that that I feel are successful, I feel that are doing uh, the kind of jobs that, that leaders should do. You know, you're, you're using words like honesty, um, words that I think are the same as transparency right. um, and, and a reluctance almost to lead. So the need to kind of be pushed into leadership. So when, when you look at, at your church and, and I think about what's going on at Crossings every day, Um, here's an organization that has very clear and very distinctly and closely held beliefs and yet says we are a welcoming safe place talk to me a little bit about how that actually happens because there's got to be a lot going on there and and there have to be some difficult things there's got to be some stories there about you know how you find the, the the line there where you say you're welcome but we're unapologetic about what we believe. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: I think it started with the understanding the difference between a principle of Scripture and a conviction. Uh, a principle is non-debatable. Uh, that is, uh, like a principle of Scripture would be that uh, uh, Jesus came uh, and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave and he will come back. Those are biblical principles to the non-believing ear. They sound bizarre. But we believe that is what is said. I mean, it is what is said in Scripture, so that is not open for debate. We don't debate that he was a good man. He was the Son of God. That's a principle. Um, and then the convictional side of that is, uh, a, a, let's say, a more, a more uh, not so much of that concept. That whether of conviction would be he's a good man. Do I want to find out who he is, kind of thing. Uh, but there's in every doctrinal camp, so to speak in every biblical principle that shapes the theology of the church. Um, There's convictions, and then there's the principle. The convictions we can talk about. So there are some in our church who uh, would say, like uh, there's three three hints in Scripture of how Jesus might return, for example. And what happens is when you take your conviction on one of those, is it premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, this millennial, that millennial? And, and Jesus lands and says, No one knows when anyway. But it's, for curious minds, we like to study those things. It's intriguing and it's fascinating. What happens though is when one who believes more in a premillennial view says, No, this is the only way. Because there are really two or three other ways that I can see credibility in where they're driving, where they're getting from scriptures. We have some, uh, I'll have in in most of my newcomer classes a disagreement about our view on God calling and equipping women for ministry. And uh, we really believe that. We believe it's very much taught and allowed in the scriptures. And so, uh, again, when someone wants to take me on on that, I'll go, look, frankly, this is not necessarily a principal piece of scripture, but it's certainly a strong conviction we have based on what we know or believe of the scriptures. So that was early. So let's stick to the principles. Let's not argue about those. But everything else is open for all kinds of discussion. So you'll find people in our halls at different times, uh, in classrooms. Some may be teaching more the premillennial view. Another one may be teaching a more amillennial view in the same church, same halls. We don't really, it's not a problem for us because it's convict. The key is Jesus is coming back. That's not open for discussion. Everything else, let's let's learn from each other. Let's see things we haven't seen. So I think that that where I, I think the principle versus the conviction and getting clear about the difference has been very helpful to me to to decide what's worth arguing about. I hate that word, but what is worth a very frank, uh, tense if if it needs to be, mm-hmm. conversation about something.
0: Marty, it sounds to me, uh, if, if, I can, if I can translate that maybe into the not uh, ministerial or, or missional world, um, for an organization like Kimray, obviously we don't, we're not dealing with those kinds of personal beliefs necessarily, but we do have a mission. I think most organizations have a mission. It, it almost sounds to me like when you talk about the conviction side, the principle side, that's like the mission. That's like, this is what yeah. it means to be this organization, for this organization to exist. These are the things that are true. And we're not really interested in changing those things because right. then we wouldn't be the organization we are. Now, we have goals, things we want to accomplish, things we want to do as we're doing life together. Those are strategies. And there's lots of options for strategies. And those things change. And as we you know, learn more or, or understand things differently, we may change our strategy and certainly all kinds of things that, that go on in, in any organization, including a church, are not they're not missional. They're strategic. And what what I hear you saying is, when you start making your strategy missional, then right. you, then you're then that's kind of my way or the highway talking, which is not inclusive and it's not it does not feel safe mentally or emotionally for right. people if they don't have any way to add to the conversation. What I, what I hear you saying is, lots of places in the church. In your organization and what i would encourage other leaders lots of places in your in an organization where it should be okay for people to add to the conversation to disagree to to say well i think we should consider this but maybe not on the side that's missional and that's kind of where, right. you, where you draw that line you right. say well this is who we are and if you want to do life with us we we're not going to aren't going to change that but we we'd love to talk about how we do this and what yeah. we do and a lot of different things is that yeah. That and our mission,
1: our mission statement says we're a Christ. We we exist to help people find and follow Jesus. We want people to find and follow Jesus. And one of sounds my, simple. It is simple. <laughs> and one of my pet peeves has kind of been, and I say it probably more than I should, is that the people I encounter that say no, I don't, I'm not interested typically think they met someone representing Jesus who happened to be a really terrible representative of Jesus. And they really didn't see the real, to me, and it's very difficult for any human being to really flesh out that, that exact picture. But that's we just want to be a Christ-centered church that helps people find and follow Jesus. I don't want them to follow a church. I don't want them to follow me. Let's point people to Jesus. Now that sounds noble and wonderful and biblical, and it is. But beyond that, how we carry that out then is uh, one size does not fit all and i learned early early on had a great i mean it was a god-given moment young guy that i knew in our church and i was you i mean i was probably 29 years old he was probably 22 years old had a serious drinking problem came over to talk to me at the church wanted to talk to me about it i'd never talked to anybody that had a drinking problem at that point i'd never heard of 12 steps I'd never heard of those kinds of things. So all I and he we we talked, I prayed as hard as I knew how to pray for him, and out the door he went. And I thought, I don't know if that was helpful. I believe in the power of prayer, but he didn't have one tool walking out of here that I was able to give him or a step to take to get started toward what I sense is his desire to stop drinking. So that helped me. It was like a ladder. I felt like the church or or trying to get to Jesus sometimes was like a ladder. I was privileged as a kid to get put on the ladder, and I could climb and learn and grow. And what I found that day is our ladders, we need to pull that thing down lower so more people can get started on it, make that first step onto that ladder. That's the best example I could think of. You know, It's like asking my... My my seven-year-old grandson to hand me something, but there's no way he's going to hand it to me, because what I'm ask where I'm standing is too far from him. So I've got to move closer to him so we can do that. And and that's where we began to realize we had better remember that what can happen in churches happens a lot of them. You become a very comfortable group of people. You all know what you believe. You all believe the same thing. And you're not that worried about somebody that might walk through the door with a question and they sense they're in a place that's not even interested in the question and i think that's been very important for me very very important for me and you know you know a church has to do many things to me i mean we are supposed to be doing many things so for example i couldn't do all those things didn't know how to do all those things Uh, there are churches that are built around phenomenal teachers in our community They are phenomenal teachers, and you will learn more sitting in that church on Sunday morning than you could learn in any classroom anywhere, and I admire them. They're my friends. I'm not that, so I had to figure out years ago when I I realized I am not that, so what am I, and what do I bring to the table? So understanding my strengths and weaknesses played a role in this. I had to get really clear about that, and a lot of people are afraid to do that but one of my strengths was not teaching in terms of digging into the Greek and the Hebrew and understanding deeper meanings. So I started hiring people who could. Let's get people around me who have brilliant biblical minds and they can help me shore up that weakness. And I think that's been a key, I'm veering away from your original question, but the key I think for me learning early you're only as good as the people you put around you oh, that's gold right there and and I put people around me that I was willing and, and at, at the um, angst of the elders to bring somebody in that would cost them more than I was costing the church and I didn't I didn't I mean I really didn't care it's not a, I just didn't it wasn't that important to me get them in here we'll figure it out but we've we've had some wonderful people on our team who knew things who knew how to do things I didn't know how to do. And they knew how to do them well.
0: That's fantastic. So let me put those in, in different terms for the for the leaders that are listening that, you know, maybe don't understand how a church yeah. works. But I heard you say things that are so important to any leader of any organization. And at the beginning of the podcast, one of the things that, that I said about you that that I've I've come to so appreciate about you is your humility and, and that's a perfect demonstration of that. You just said, you know, an honest evaluation of yourself. You've always been very clear uh, with your congregation, which I've been a part of for a long time now, of what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. You don't make any bones about it. You're fine with it. And and we're going to bring people in. They're going to take care of these other needs. And it's been exceptionally successful because you have grown an organization that does, in fact, take care of the various needs of the congregation and the community exceptionally well. If you had tried to be the point person for all of those things, many of them would not have happened, it would not have happened well. And and so often I see leaders of organizations feeling like they have to be the ones to lead everything, to be the, you know, come up with the idea, be the point person. It has to be theirs or it doesn't happen. That also creates a community where the people in that community understand that their ideas, their influence, their, you know, their gifting is not really needed. Or it's only needed if they're told what to do as opposed to feeling like they're part of, of creating something. Uh, I learned a long time ago that uh, people support what they help create. And, and you said, you know, you have to be careful that you don't end up in this comfortable little cocoon where everybody's just kind of rocking along and there's really nothing happening that happens more often than not when everything's being taken care of by somebody else, and right. you can just sit there and get your needs met, and you're not really called on to be a part of doing what the what the community's doing. So, I think the the admonition to leaders that are listening is you know step back a little bit and and think about what you're good at, where your where you know where your things lie, and then find people to do those other things. That makes your organization inclusive, and I think that increases. The feeling that your organization is a place that is emotionally and mentally safe, as well as physically safe. Before we run out of time, I want to I want to ask you to do one more thing for us. Again, the the way that that a church runs and the and the, the just the realities of the a belief system versus just a missional statement for a secular organization um, gives you probably a lot more opportunities for there to be some conflict between. The individuals in that are participating in that community and the and the belief systems or the mission in that community um, if you can relate to me a story maybe of a time when you as a leader had to deal with that had to confront um, people in an organization that that their wants and desires didn't, match or align with what needed to happen in the church and as a leader how do you how do you handle that and not just say sorry you know you can go find someplace else how do you how do you maintain the relationship and maintain the feeling that this is still a place where we'll listen to you but we have to understand
1: am i making sense on that yeah i think i think of two different areas one is the the whole area of mental health that we're very invested in and emotional health uh when, when it comes to that area of, of the church uh, there are some non-negotiables there are clearly things we're we are not going to do because it hurts people it it further hinders mental health or it can and some of that would be when people think we ought to teach more and they need to learn more they need to grow more they need to be more spiritual and that's a terrible game to play because you can fake that for a while and and we all know that and we've all tried it But I think that's an area where I'm very protective of of this, the the people coming in who are in Celebrate recovery or they're in a variety of mental health ministries that we have. The other place where I've seen it a lot, where I think it gets a little more complicated, is everybody has a passion for something, which is a good thing. We believe the Bible says we've all been equipped with gifts for the common good. They've been given to us for the common good. When people want to take their particular passion or interest or mission and make it the center of the church, then I have to have those conversations say, yes, this is a very important thing, but no, we can't spend a Sunday on it. No, we can't make it the focus, but we will come alongside you. We will help you find people in the church that have the same interests who who really would love to jump into that ministry. And that's worked pretty well for us. I think there are people, though, that feel like if a church isn't doing this one thing, then it must not be a church or it's not a good church. And so there have been people that wanted me to do this one thing. We have to do this. We've got to, you know, we've got to, uh, we we must uh, be very verbally strong on this issue, this social issue, this subject. And some of those things are best talked about one-on-one, face-to-face, in the privacy of, of a safe environment where we can literally talk about each other's true issues. And then the, on the passion side, I know at one time, I don't know that we still do, we let all the people's passions be on a, a web page of our website, <laughs> the passion ministries of the church, and, and they could see somebody's over here working with women in prison, someone's over here working with children of those who are incarcerated, someone's over here working with single moms, and, and on the list goes. We want to help everybody. We we are not going to say, well, we're not interested. But we will say, how do we help you follow that dream, follow that passion, and be strong in doing it for other people? And try to make room. Uh, You know, there, there are churches that have certain things they say they will do and not do. And we do, too. There are some things we have said that's not for us to do. But I think, by and large, we have tried to help people Uh, use their God-given talent or passion or their experience. Most of these folks have had experience in pain. And it's always good when someone with some experience in pain can walk up next to somebody who's in pain, put their arm around them and say, I've been exactly where you are. And I'm happy to walk with you if you would like me to. That's phenomenal. That's absolutely great. Marty, it's been wonderful
0: having you in studio. I really appreciate you taking time and coming to talk to us. Um, you write a lot, you blog, and I understand you're getting ready to transition to doing more podcasting. But at least at this moment, if people want to read what you've uh, written, they can find you at martygrubs.com. You wrote a book, restored, uh, got a cool cover. It's got a couple of cars on it. Right. One's a, one's a rust bucket, and the other one's restored. And and uh, we had a, we, You and I have had a cool conversation about uh, if there was any subliminal message that you picked a Jaguar 340 for the cover. You're, you say you didn't, but I know you like sports cars. So I, oh, think, yeah. there, I think there was something going on oh, I'm there. I'm sure it was. Something Some going on question. there probably. Um, and then, of course, obviously, if, uh, if you're in Oklahoma City and you're looking for uh, a loving, accepting place uh, to explore uh, what it might mean to be a member of a church and to find the person of Jesus Christ, I cannot recommend a better place than Crossings uh, it's been quite a journey for me uh, over the last 20 plus years, being a part of, part of your church and watching the church grow and watching you grow and watching me grow, which is one of the cool things about uh, doing life together as leaders is we, we do get to, to watch each other and learn from each other. So again, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us today on Word from the Herd, a production of the Kimmel Foundation. For more information about the Kimmel Foundation, visit us at thekimmelfoundation.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at thekimmelfdn. Please share this podcast and join us again next week for another Word from the Herd.